Well, good morning. I want to thank the Legacy Choir for leading us so wonderfully in worship this morning. I want to do a couple of things before we look at the message. First of all, this past week, Taylor's First Baptist Church celebrated uh, Administrative Professionals Day. I, there was, uh, we had a luncheon here for uh, our administrative folks that help us in the ministry office, and I was not able to be here because of some uh, responsibilities at North Greenville University. Can't always get here to everything that I want to be here for. But I just want to say personally a word of thanks and give you an opportunity and a reminder as well to say thank you to these wonderful uh, ladies who, who work in the church office providing administrative support to your ministry staff. Um, could not do the things that uh, we do here without these folks. And so when you get a chance, please express your appreciation to them as well. We are very, very blessed with the staff that we have here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. And I just wanted to express my gratitude and especially uh, to the one who assists me most, Renee Morton, who's been here, I think, for about 28 years, something like that. Um, and just does a great job, and I, I certainly want to express my appreciation to her and all who serve in this vital role in the life of our church. I also want to, secondly, encourage you. I really do want to encourage you, if you think you possibly can be, to consider being a part of Secret Church. If you have never done something like this before, it is an amazing, incredible thing that will take place here that night. Six hours. So don't, 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 uh, don't fuss at me for long sermons, okay? Six hours. I've never done that to you, right? Six hours of in-depth study of God's Word led by David Platt. And so it's going to be an incredible time. Um, we can lean on each other if we start getting drowsy, okay? I'll lean on you and you can lean on me and we'll keep each other awake and alert. But believe me, you won't be dozing off uh, if you come and be a part of this. It's going to be a great time. Well, this morning we're continuing our series of messages from the book of Philippians entitled, Life Doesn't Have to Be Perfect to Be Wonderful. And let me just go ahead and throw it out here this morning, okay, just so you'll know. I'm not going to make anybody happy this morning. I just let me go ahead and say, I'm not going to make anybody happy this morning because this morning brings us to a topic that perhaps more than anything else I can think of has the power to regulate whether your life is wonderful or not. And to a large degree... It has the power to regulate whether the lives of the people around you are wonderful or not. And the topic we're looking at this morning is the topic of complaining. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> How many of you have ever known a chronic complainer? I mean, nothing is ever good enough for this person, nothing's ever right, nothing's ever the way they like it, nothing is ever the way they would have done it. Life is one complaint after another. Now, I, I don't know if what I wrote in the introduction to your message guide this morning hit you the way it hit me 
But research actually shows that most people in a typical conversation complain at least once per minute. In other words, our conversations are peppered with comments about people or about things we don't like, things that bother us, things we wish we could change, things we would have done differently if we had been the one doing them. Now, you have probably heard the analogy about the difference between a pessimist and an optimist, right? A pessimist, uh, excuse me, an optimist sees a glass that is half what? Full. A pessimist sees a glass that is half what? Empty. Well, a chronic complainer sees a glass that is slightly chipped, holding water that is way too warm because it's probably tap water instead of bottled water like I ordered. And wait, there's a smudge on the glass too, which means it hasn't been cleaned properly. So now I'm going to probably get a communicable disease that's going to land me in the hospital. Boy, do they rip you off. $10 for an aspirin. You know, and the doctors don't even have time to talk to you anymore. All they do is write you a prescription. Man, my insurance doesn't pay for anything. And I can't stand standing in that line at the pharmacy at Walmart. Have you been in Walmart lately? Halloween's just over, and I've got off, I already got up those gosh-awful-looking Christmas trees. You know, I can't wait until Christmas is over. Just rush, rush, rush. And speaking of rush, 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 people drive crazy today. Guy almost ran me off the road last week and killed me. I don't know what we're paying the police for. They're certainly not out on the streets. Have you been on my street lately? There's a pothole right at the end of my driveway. What do we pay taxes for anyway? And by the way, I thought Trump's tax reform plan was supposed to lower my taxes. They went way up. And let me tell you about Trump. <laughs> and on and on and on we go. Now, we laugh, but complaining is a killjoy. Kills the joy in you. Kills the joy in the people around you makes everybody unhappy. And a complaining spirit is not a very fun thing to be around. At least it's not for most people. Have you ever said, you know, he is such an awesome guy. He is the best complainer I have ever known. (laughs) Or I just love her. She has the most beautiful complaining spirit. Well, nobody says that. In fact, We've probably complained about somebody's complaining spirit. But complaining, you know, it's such a natural thing to do. Griping, grumbling about everything and everybody. And here's the thing that's kind of sad. Nobody does it better sometimes than we do. God's people. The premier story illustrating this is found in the Old Testament narrative of the Exodus. 
and the children of Israel's journey to the promised land. Talk about a bunch of complainers. They had turned complaining into an Olympic sport, and they had won the gold medal. I, really, I'm stunned every time I read the story of the Exodus. You remember in that story that God, the God of the universe, had just taken the most powerful man on the face of the earth, the Pharaoh, and he had tossed him around like a toddler with a rag doll. God had not only humbled Pharaoh, but he had actually broken his spirit and revealed his utter powerlessness. That display of God's power sent vibrations throughout the known world of that day, and the people who heard about what happened were filled with awe, filled with fear because of what God had done. And yet, the Israelites' response to that incredible deliverance was not praise. It was not worship. It was not wholehearted trust in God. Instead, you remember, their response was grumbling, murmuring, quarreling, and complaining. They complained at the Red Sea when they saw Pharaoh's chariots coming after them. They complained at Marah, where the water was bitter. They complained when they had to eat manna. They complained when they had to wait for Moses to come down from Mount Sinai. They complained at Kadesh Barnea, where the 12 spies came back and told them that there were giants in the land. They griped, they grumbled, they took pot shots at Moses. <laughs> we don't have any water, Moses. <laughs> Where's the beef, Moses? I've got blisters on my feet, Moses. Who died and made you boss, Moses? <laughs> Moses, are we there yet? Over and over again, they griped and they grumbled. And they talked about how good things were back in Egypt before Moses showed up and messed everything up. Nothing Moses did and nothing God did was good enough for these folks. It was sad. It was heartbreaking. They lived to complain. And what was the result? Well, look at Numbers 11.1 1 there in your message guide. It says, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. And, and that's to say nothing about an entire generation of Israelites who wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because of their complaining spirit. They were selfish. They were self-centered. They were focused on what they wanted. They were fixated on what they thought. They were unwilling to be moved. They were unwilling to be challenged. They were unwilling to change. They never made it into the promised land 
it all. They all died in the desert because all they ever did was gripe and grumble and complain. And that is why the Apostle Paul, giving one of the sternest warnings in all of Scripture about what God's people should not do, uses the Old Testament nation of Israel as an example in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, where he writes and says, And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. In other words, if God took grumbling and complaining that seriously back then, how much more seriously do you think he takes it now in the time after Christ? When we have Jesus here to guide us, when we have his word to instruct us, when we have his Holy Spirit to indwell us, This is serious stuff. So serious, in fact, that the Apostle James, in his New Testament letter, writes, chapter 5, verse 9, you can see it there, do not complain against one another, believers, so that you will not be judged for it. Look, the judge is standing right at the door. Complaining is so antithetical To the life of a believer, James says, that God, the one who judges all things, stands instantly ready to bring judgment upon believers who gripe and grumble and complain about or against their brothers and sisters in Christ. Have I got your attention? I hope so. I told you I wasn't going to make anybody happy this morning. So let me just keep walking and let me let you in on a secret, okay? Here's a secret. You ready for it? Here goes. Fill in the blanks. A complaining spirit originates from a selfish attitude that believes that the rest of creation exists to make me happy. I want you to think about that. A complaining spirit results from an attitude that believes the rest of creation, everything out there exists to make me happy. Did you know that? Now, you might not have known that because it was a secret. That's not a secret anymore. Okay. Now we know, right? We know. And if you think about it, I think you'll see that it's really, really true. Every time we complain about something, every time we gripe about somebody or something, it's almost always because we're not happy about something. We're not happy about somebody, not happy about how something turned out, not happy about what somebody did or didn't do or how it was done. Again, that's what kept God's Old Testament people cutting circles in the desert. They never got to the promised land. And that is what will keep God's 
New Testament people, you and me, from getting into his promised land for our lives as well. This really is serious stuff. It's far more serious than we often realize. And it does far more harm than we often realize to other people and to the cause of Christ. So, if there is something that we, as the people of God, need to get under control today, it is this. If there's ever a day when we need to have a single focus and a single passion and a higher calling, it is today. And that is why the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, writing to a church that he loved. There is no more personal, love-filled, heartfelt letter addressed to anyone in the New Testament than what we find in the book of Philippians. This was a church that he absolutely loved with all of his heart. And yet he wrote to them in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, and he said, do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, how many things does Paul say we should do without complaining and arguing? Some things? Most things? No. How many things? All things, everything, do everything without complaining or murmuring. This is a command, and it is a command, that has application in every single area of your life and my life. In your home, at work, in your neighborhood, in your school, in the church, everywhere we are, everything we do is to be done without complaining and arguing. Now, how do we get to that place where we know we need to be, but that is so often so very hard to get to? Well, before we look at this Philippian text, let's look at what the Bible has to say in some other places about getting victory over complaining. Because that's what we want, right? So there, there's some key truths here, some very key truths that we need to keep in mind. I want to share with you three things that will help us stop complaining. Now, there may be other things that we could reference. This morning, I'm just going to give you three things that I hope will sink into your heart, even as I'm praying they will sink into my heart. Here's the first. If I'm going to stop complaining, I must begin by admitting that complaining is a problem. I must admit that complaining is a problem. I must admit it's a, complaint, it's a problem for me. You must admit that it is a problem for you. All right, let's, so, so let's try to not worry about somebody else this morning, and let's try to focus on ourselves. I can promise you that we will not get anywhere with this problem until we realize it is a problem in each of us, individually and personally. There's a verse in the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 13. This is the Living Bible, 
paraphrase, it says, A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. There are three key words in this verse. Admit, confess, and forsake. But when it comes to the problem of complaining, we can't confess it and we can't forsake it if we don't first admit it. You see, the most difficult part of overcoming complaining is failing to recognize and realize the reality of a complaining spirit in yourself. You know, I read somewhere that there are basically three different kinds of people in life, three different kinds. There are the accusers. The accusers go around and are very good at blaming everybody else. Well, this person did this, that person said that. This thing happened that shouldn't have happened. So if that hadn't happened, if that hadn't been done, if this hadn't been said, then I wouldn't be complaining about it. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. That's the accuser. Always pointing a finger at somebody else. Then there are the excusers. The excusers say things like, you know, I I just can't help it. I guess I'm just a born complainer. I guess it's just one of my weaknesses, just a product of my environment. My mama was a complainer. (laughs) My daddy was a complainer. You know, it just sort of bled over. I grew up with it. Always making some excuse. So there are the accusers, there are the excusers, but then there are the choosers. The choosers accept responsibility for their own actions. They say, you know, I've got a choice here. I'm not going to blame others. I'm not going to blame my environment, my upbringing, my circumstances. I'm going to take responsibility for my own attitudes. I'm going to take responsibility for my own actions. I'm going to take responsibility for my own decisions. You see, a chooser understands a critical truth. So I want you to write this down. A chooser understands a critical truth. What is it? Complaining is a sin. It is a sin. So I have to first admit it. Then I have to confess it. And then I need to forsake it. Just like Proverbs 28.13 says, because it is a sin and I must choose to admit my problem with complaining. So truth number one that will help me stop complaining, I must admit that it's a problem. I've got to admit it's a problem for me. You've got to admit it's a problem for you. Second thing, I must develop an attitude of thanksgiving. I must develop an attitude of thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, very instructive here. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, let me ask the same question here I asked just a moment ago. How many circumstances does this verse tell me I should give thanks in? 
all circumstances. Not some, not a majority, not even most. I must give thanks in all circumstances. Now you might be thinking, okay, well, what does that have to do with complaining? Just this. After I have admitted that I have a problem with complaining, I, I've, I've admitted it, recognized that it's a sin, I've confessed it, I can't just flip some magical switch and forsake it. It's, it's too natural a thing for us to do. It's, it's one of those strongholds in many of our lives. So I can't just flip a switch. I want to say to you this morning, you cannot cut out complaining. You have to crowd it out. Follow me. You don't cut it out. You crowd it out. You have to replace it with something else. And what you need to replace it with is a spirit of thanksgiving. You see, if we think about it, so much of our complaining is really an indicator of an ungrateful heart. We have this amazing tendency to focus sometimes on what we don't have instead of what we do have. We have this amazing tendency to focus on what we don't like instead of the incredible ways that God has blessed us, instead of looking at, at those good things in our lives. That was the central issue, by the way, with the Israelites. God had just rescued them from slavery. He had miraculously saved them from Pharaoh's army. He had fed them from heaven. He had given them leaders like Moses and Aaron to direct them. But they weren't grateful for any of that. They only saw what they didn't like. They only saw what they didn't have. They only focused on what they didn't agree with, what they didn't want. And don't we do the same thing if we're honest? Sure we do. I don't have this thing. I don't like that thing. I didn't agree with how he did this. I don't like the way she handled that. We focus on the negative so many times, but what about the positive? What about the good things in your life? What about the incredible things that God has blessed you with, the things He has brought you through as we heard about this morning, as we sang about this morning? I can absolutely promise you this morning on the authority of God's Word that there are more good things in your life than there are bad things. There are far more things you can be grateful for than there are things you can complain about. And this applies in every single area of life. It applies between husbands and wives, parents and kids, the boss and the employees, the teachers and students, 
the church members and the church ministers. I mean, listen, you can focus on the negative things if you want to. They're real. They're real because nobody's perfect. They're real because we all make mistakes. But the Word of God says, find something in that person. Find something in that situation. Find something in that circumstance that you can be grateful for. doesn't mean that you ignore things that may need to be addressed. It certainly doesn't mean that you let people run all over you. It does mean that you develop an attitude of thanksgiving that will overpower an attitude of complaining. And by the way, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells me that it is God's will for me to have a grateful heart. Did you see that? We focus sometimes on the first part, give thanks in all circumstances. We just sort of breeze by the second part, which says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're not interested in the will of God, then you can tune me out. If you're not interested in the will of God, then you just can forget about all of this. But if the will of God is something important to you, this is not optional. It is God's will for me to have a grateful heart. It is God's will for me to have an attitude of thanksgiving, not an attitude of criticism and complaining. So I've got some homework for you this week. Here's your homework. I want you to say thanks to somebody this week. I want you to find somebody that maybe you've had an issue with, somebody that, that you've had a tendency maybe to criticize or complain about. I want you to find somebody. It might be a spouse. It might be a child. It might be somebody you work with. It might be a neighbor. It might be a church member. It might be a staff member. I want you to find somebody, and I want you to say to them, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what I see in you. Thank you for what I see God doing through you. I promise you, it'll do something for you. And it'll do something for them. I must develop an attitude of thanksgiving. Thirdly, if I want to stop complaining... I must practice speaking positively. I must practice speaking positively. Now, sometimes I get asked as a pastor or uh, a professor in the College of Christian Studies at North Greenville, you know, somebody will ask me, uh, what do you think is the most important verse in the Bible? I mean, if you were just to point me to something as a believer, what's, what's most important? And, you know, is it, is it something like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son? Or is it something like Luke 10.27, where we're given the command that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and, and all of our strength? Is it one of the great doctrinal passages like we looked at last week in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, where it talks about the person of Christ, his selflessness and his 
servanthood and his sacrifice? Or is it something like Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20? Surely the Great Commission is one of those verses. Well, I, I don't know what the single verse might be that would be deemed most important, but I'll tell you this. One verse that ought to be at the top of the chart somewhere is Ephesians 4.29. It says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Church, if there was ever a verse that we need to put into practice, this one is it. If there was ever a verse that had the power to completely transform relationships and families and churches, it is this one. But if there's ever a verse that we often fail to live up to, it is this one. This verse tells me that every single word I speak, every utterance that comes out of my mouth must have as its purpose, its goal, its ultimate aim and objective, the edification, the building up of other people. Our actions should build other people up. Our attitudes should build other people up. And our words should build other people up. Complaining, griping, grumbling doesn't do this. It doesn't build up a person. It tears a person down. And I want to tell you, and I can tell you from some painful personal experience, as a pastor, nothing, nothing, causes a person to lose his or her self-esteem, his or her sense of worth, his or her joy, faster than being the object of the criticism and the complaining of other people. Nothing. This is what causes spouses to walk away from marriages. It's what causes children to walk away from parents. It's what causes employees to walk away from jobs. It's what causes church members and church staff members to walk away from churches. It's because they've gotten sick and tired of being harangued, accused, griped at, and complained about. Nobody likes that. Nobody can bear up under that on and on and on. Now, again, let me say, and let me be quick to say, if you have a legitimate concern or disagreement with someone, if there's something that needs to be addressed, then do it. But go to that person in love. Go to that person with a Christ-like spirit. Don't go around behind somebody's back criticizing and complaining and griping and stirring up dissension. That is unbiblical. And it is unchristian. We don't have any business doing that. Your job and my job as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to build people up, not tear them down. 
So, more homework. I want you to find somebody this week, and I want you to pour into his or her life with positive words of encouragement and edification. And build somebody up this week. I promise you it'll make you feel better. It'll make that person feel better. Well, I've got my eye on the clock. We didn't even get into the meat of our Philippians text. But I think this is a good place to stop. We'll get to the rest of that. We'll get into what Paul has to say to us specifically in Philippians 2, 14 through 16. But let's just stop here today. Can we admit this morning that complaining is a problem? Can I admit it's a problem for me? Are you willing to admit it's a problem for you? Can we ask God to help us develop an attitude of thanksgiving instead of demonstrating an attitude of criticism? Can we practice speaking positively? Especially, especially about our brothers and sisters in Christ. You do these three things this week, and I promise it'll revolutionize your life. It'll revolutionize the life of your family. It will revolutionize the way you feel at work and at home, and at school, and it will, I absolutely promise you, it will change this church. And it will make us a transformed people who God is able to use transformationally to change our community, our nation, and the nations. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your word. There are some parts of it that they're a little sharper than others, maybe. There's some parts that sting a little more than others. Maybe this was one of those. But as we're making our way through this letter to the Philippians... This is where we come to today. This is what Paul tells us. Clearly, do everything. Everything. Without complaining or arguing. Father, we've got way too many more important things to do as your people than to spend our days with a negative, critical, complaining spirit. We don't want to be part of these statistics that say, on average, in a typical conversation, we're going to complain at least once a minute. Incredible. This morning, I think we probably all, including me, we need to do some deep spiritual inventory. Because this is not your will for us. Your will for us is to have a attitude of thanksgiving, heart of gratitude in all things. Your will is for us to practice speaking positively into the lives of our family members and church family members. 
There's been untold damage done in every area and arena of life because of complaining critical spirits. And we don't want to be part of that. We want to be healers. We want to be those who lift up, not tear down. So Lord, for those times we've done it, we we admit it, we confess it. We ask you to forgive us. Thank you that your word says if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Lord, we can't forsake that in our own strength. We need your strength. We need the indwelling of your spirit. We need the powerful presence of the Lord Jesus Christ living and moving in us. So Father, give us that today so that we go out of here transformed in this area of life so that we may be that transformational people you've called us to be. Father, thank you for loving us. I'm amazed this morning that you didn't look down at us in our sinfulness and say, God, what a corrupt bunch of people. What an ungrateful bunch of people. What a mistake I made in thinking they were a good idea. But instead, with love and compassion, you reached down to us with a heart of love, with a desire to lift us up, willing to forgive us. You gave us the best that you had. Your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our example, who is our model in all things. May we long to live lives that are worthy of that gospel of Christ. So Lord, move in our hearts today. If we need to make decisions, may we make them for your honor and glory, for the sake of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing. We're going to sing this great old hymn of the faith, which part of it says, God, you're the potter, I'm the clay. And the great thing about that song is that he's able to take our flawed vessels and as long as we remain soft and moldable, he can shape us, reshape us, transform us, take us from where we are and get us to where he wants us to be. He can do that this morning. And I rejoice in that. If you need to come, these altars are open. If I can pray with you, come on right now as we sing. Kevin, lead us.